0: So if you have your Bibles or electronic devices, you can click to turn to with me, 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. Now listen, when we started this series out and titled this series, Great Expectations, that Simon Peter had great expectations uh, for the early church, he has great expectations for us. And, and so we started on this journey together that we were going to walk through the book of 1 Peter, verse by verse, line by line, sometimes word by word. And so if you were keeping track, then all of a sudden you realize that I skipped over a couple of verses. And uh, we were in chapter four last weekend, and now all of a sudden we're rolling back to chapter three, verses 18 through 21. And, and that, that, on my part, just cards on the table, that was intentional. And that was intentional because I'm going to talk to you about this issue of baptism. And talk to you about, and a lot of times this issue of baptism is way more emotional than it is theological, and we're going to talk about that. But I won't talk to you about this issue of baptism. It is a big deal to the local church, and it's a big deal to us. And the reason that I've moved it back to where I've moved it is because next weekend, it just so happens that it's baptism weekend. And so I'm going to give you an opportunity that if you haven't been biblically baptized, guess what, that you can put this message in place and follow the Lord and believers' baptism next weekend. Many of you that have been with us for quite some time know about 10 years ago, I had this same burden. And so I felt the Lord led me uh, to do a spontaneous baptism weekend. And I just preached a very simple message on on baptism. There's nothing very special about that message. I just opened up God's Word with you. I walked through what the Scriptures say about baptism. At the end of the service, I simply uh, made a call and said, listen... Uh, nothing is preventing you today from baptism. So why don't you just line up right now? We'll meet with you. We'll talk with you. and Why don't you just get baptized? we got shorts and shirts and shorts and, and hair dryers and makeup and brushes and combs. we got everything you need to just go ahead. Nothing prevents you from getting baptized. We were expecting like 30 to 35 people, so we bought enough shirts and shorts and stuff for 30 to 35 people. In, in the midst of, of the weekend, we baptized 110 people. 110 people followed. just follow the Lord in baptism. and We have a video of it, and I probably should have brought it, but I didn't. And so uh, one day we'll show you the video again. 110 people follow the Lord in baptism. And then in the next two weeks, another 40 people follow the Lord in baptism. We have story after story what happened in their life when they came to that place. Just follow the Lord in believers' baptism. Simon Peter is going to talk about this morning. But before we do, I want to tell you a story. Normally... Normally, preachers leave stories like this to the end of the message, uh, but I'm going to use it on the front end, and you know why? I do not, listen this morning, I do not want to move you emotionally. And I'm going to tell you the story, and then we're just going to unpack it as we walk through this together. It's a friend of mine, Dave and Mickey Hill, uh, I have permission to tell the story he 's publicly told this story. Uh, they were in our church in houston texas and and David was a friend of mine. I came to christ and then he helped mentor me and so David had a pretty he had a pretty long history of his past. Uh, David had been in jail for everything you could be in jail for other than murder. He had been married David had been married six times. Mickey was his number six wife, and they were divorced and David. Uh, had been in jail. He got out of jail. He had a one-bedroom apartment. Picks up the phone, calls Mickey, and says, "Hey, I, I want to get back together. I, w- I want to work this thing out. Of all the wives I've had, you were the favorite one. And so, uh, <laughs> so I want to, I want to get I want to get back together. And so Mickey says, "Well, a wild things happened in my life. I've given my life to Christ, and He has radically changed my life. David, if you had called me six months ago." I, I, would have, I would have ridden the emotional roller coaster with you again. I would have probably given in and we would get back together. I cannot do that anymore. I have given my life to Christ. He says, well, I really want to see you. How do I get to see you? She said, you can go to church with me, but I want to be clear, not a date. It's, you can go to church and you can sit beside me. And so he said, fine. That next morning he went to church with her. At the end of the service, um, it was a Baptist church. And, and so just a little bit about that whole deal in a Baptist church that we were at. Uh, That if you fill out a a response card, some deacons are going to bang on your door like Monday night. It's Monday night visitation, and they're going to just—they're just going to cold call you. You don't even—you're not even expecting it. They're just going to show up. And so, but David didn't know that's how that whole thing went down. And so, at the close of the service, Mickey looks over at David and says, "Hey, if you're serious about this Jesus stuff, fill out that card." He's like, "Okay," you know. (laughs) He fills out the card. Monday night, and listen, David had a one-bedroom apartment, and the only thing in his apartment was, was like a uh, like a beach chair, a lounge chair, and a cooler <laughs> for his refreshments. And, uh, and no TV, nothing. That's all that was in his apartment. He's just trying to put his life back together. Monday night, the deacons bang on the door, open the door, and he's like, who are you? And they go, oh, we're deacons at First Baptist Church. You filled out a card. We would like to come in and talk to you about Jesus. He goes, hey, listen, I... <laughs> I have just drank a fifth of Jack Daniels. I've done two to three lines of Coke. He says, listen, he says, I am not going to remember a thing in the morning. I'm pretty messed up. And they go, well, do you mind if we leave you a book, a Bible? He says, you can leave me whatever. So he takes that Bible, gets back in his lounge chair, puts the Bible on top of the cooler. He wakes up the next morning and no TV, nothing to do. And so he he, uh, he grabs the Bible and <laughs> And he didn't know it was like 66 books, and you kind of read anywhere. Uh, He thought it was like a normal book, so you just start reading at the first. So David David starts reading at the first, Genesis, and he starts reading all the way through. He gets to the place, crazy story. He gets to the place where Adam starts naming the animals. And something happened in that moment, and he gave his life to Christ right there. You know why? Because David says, you know what? If someone could name an animal 2,000 years ago, and we still call them by that name, God must have been in it. (laughs) He says, and I could tell Adam got kind of, you know, lazy and tired at the end. You know, dog and cat and, you know, no complicated names there. And so he gives his life to Christ. And he calls Mickey and tells Mickey about it. He goes to church with her next week. And she turns to him and says, hey, listen, let me tell you, David. Anybody can say they got Jesus in their heart. Anybody can claim to be a Christian. But if you're serious about this, you'll follow him in obedience to all of his commands. You'll follow him in baptism. It's okay. I'll do it. And David started lining his life up in obedience to everything in the Scriptures, and he, he turned his entire life together, t- around. They, they got remarried. They're still married today. And, I mean, uh, they're serving together in a local church, and, and, and it was just like this thing happened. Listen, let me tell you something. There's something about this issue of baptism. Listen, salvation comes by faith alone, but there's something about following the Lord. There's this mystery of baptism. We have story after story. When people have drawn a line in the sand and says, guess what? I'm just going to be obedient to the scriptures and all of the scriptures and just follow him regardless. Whatever the Bible says, I'm just going to do. And we have found that people have walked in greater obedience when they've taken that step. So this morning, listen, let me tell you something. You may, have, you may have been baptized as a child. You may have been sprinkled as a child. You may have been sprinkled as, a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as an adult or a teenager. You may have never been baptized in your life. You may have never, listen, you may have never heard a sermon on baptism, and you've never even uh, heard a talk on this issue. You, listen, you may have never even considered this issue of baptism. All I'm asking for you this morning, that you to be open to the Scriptures. You'd be open to what the Scriptures. Did you just say, you know what? I'll just be open to what God has for me today, and however he leads me, however he guides me, I will follow him in obedience to him. See, what, what the Scripture tells us is, is this, is that the moment we meet Christ, there's an inward baptism. He baptizes us into the body of Christ. That's salvation. That's understanding the gospel. We'll walk through that. And then this outward baptism is a public confession of our faith. It's where we go public. This was huge in the local church. This was huge in the early church. See, Simon Peter was pushing these people to understand this issue of baptism. Let me I probably should have told you this as we started this journey out together, but you know the story, right? Because I've told you the story that that that, that, that in the early church that the Roman government was Persecuting the local church, and so there's a lot of people say, "Oh, the reason the Roman government was persecuting the early church is because the the Romans were anti-church, they were anti-religion, and so that's the reason they're persecuting this church." That's not the reason the Roman government was persecuting the early church. The Roman government, they were pro-church, they were pro-religion. And, I mean, they felt the more gods, the better. I mean, we don't care; just the more gods, the better. We're into this whole god thing. Uh, we're pro-religion. But here's what happened. These Jesus followers, the way when they came into a life and started following Christ, the reason the Roman government got upset is not because they were pro-religion. They got upset because these Jesus followers were messing up the status quo. They were messing up everything. I mean, you had these people that were like giving their life to Christ and they're walking in obedience to the scripture and everything begins to change. They're accepting Christ. Their politics change, how their government changes, how they govern changes their integrity changes, how they handle their businesses, how they handle their relationships. Fact is, the Roman Empire, they could not understand. You just got to understand the society of that time. They could not understand how a bunch of people could gather together and worship together and it didn't end up in an orgy and it didn't end up in sex and all these other things. See, see, people were coming to Christ and they were pledging a life of purity. One man to one woman for life and all of a sudden, it was messing up the status quo. And as a result of that, they were upset. See, you can see some of that in America right now, right? America's kind of pro-religion, but just don't mess up our status quo. Just don't mess up the way of doing things. So Simon Peter presses into them. First Peter chapter three, verse 18. Here's what he said. He says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit in which he went and and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in a few, that is, eight persons who were brought safely through the water, now all of a sudden he begins giving the symbol of baptism. He begins giving this picture of baptism, what this looks like. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven. He is at the right hand of God with the angels, authorities, and the powers have been subjected to him. Verse 21, Simon Peter starts trying to help them with an Old Testament illustration. They were Jews. They understood this. They got this. And he was saying this issue of baptism symbolizes what has taken place on the inside. He's helping them to understand that baptism represents that you're standing up in family and friends and saying, I'm making a clean break from an old way of living. I'm making a clean break from the sinful past that I once lived. He said, just as the flood wiped away an old sinful world, so baptism pictures one's break from his old sinful life and the entrance into a new life. And so he's encouraging them just to have the courage. He's encouraged, Just have the courage and follow Lord and believers' baptism. For the first, for this first-century Christian, this meant everything to them because it was meant that you know what? I'm following through on a commitment. I'm following through on what Christ has called for me. And he made this statement. He says, "Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience." There's something. Listen, there's something about. There's something about this issue of baptism. I've told you that baptism a lot of times for me is just simply a picture. It's like the, it's like the wedding ceremony of the Christian life. That there came a time, right, an engagement period, which you made a private commitment to one another. And then there comes that day when you stand up in church in front of your family and friends and loved ones and say, with a preacher, and say, You know what? We are committing our lives. We're like off the market. We're com- committing our lives to one another. Holy matrimony, set apart to, for this person for the rest of our life. It's a commitment. And so, baptism is like the wedding ceremony of the Christian life. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians. He says, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. So at the moment of conversion, the Holy Spirit baptizes us in the body of Christ. There's an inward baptism, an outward, and I'm going to talk to you about the outward today. And I understand the emotion. Listen, I know. My wife was, was raised Catholic. She was baptized as a child, and... She met Christ a few months after I did, and, and I still remember I, mean, I still remember the emotion that her family carried with her following through. So let, let, let me just say this. If you're baptized as a child, you can honor and thank God for your parents that they cared enough for your spiritual development, that they took you to church, they had you baptized, because they cared about your spiritual life, your internal destiny, they cared about that. And baptism by immersion now would be like a fulfillment to what they started, a fulfillment to what they prayed for. So I want to just ask three questions, answer them, uh, and then we'll take communion together. The first question is this. You just got to ask yourself, well, what is the meaning of baptism? I mean, just biblically, what, what is the meaning of baptism? You can go all the way back to Simon Peter's first sermon there in Acts chapter 2, uh, when he begins it's a gospel message and it's a famous message at Pentecost and a lot of people responded and actually it was like it was like a five-point sermon that Simon Peter preached and and uh, and and so the first point let me just give you the five points just real quickly and the first point was this he just helped them understand that Jesus Christ was a historic per, a person that didn't take a lot of explanation because he had been crucified 40 days prior to this uh, they had been around Jesus they knew of Jesus and so the first point is this Jesus guy is like a historic person the second thing is this Jesus was crucified and he rose on the on the third day. That didn't need a lot of explanation because guess what? The tomb is empty. They can't find his body. Uh, they're reading, you know what? They're reading the news. They're they they understand what is going on. The third pro- point of his sermon was this is, this is a prophetic. Jesus was was prophesied about in the Old Testament. There's Old Testament prophecies. This is the Messiah that an Old Testament has talked about for years after years after years. The fourth point was Jesus is a Savior. You need to accept him. The fifth point was this, gospel. Gospel is open to all. Jew and Gentile, slave and free, rich and poor, educated, uneducated, male and female. That this issue of the gospel isn't to just one class or one type of person. The gospel is like open to anybody, whoever will accept and whoever, whoever will receive this. And then all of a sudden he comes down to like decision time in verse 38 in, the, in his message, Acts chapter 2. He says, he says, And Simon Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins." And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and your children and for all of you who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So you see this, you and everyone. Verse 40, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to encourage them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those, is so important. So those who received his word were baptized. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Listen, I... I cannot imagine what that was like administering and administrating 3,000 people getting baptized. I know what it was like here when 110 people got baptized on one weekend. Kmart was in business. We bought them out of shirts and, and shorts and we went over to Walmart and we're putting a dent in their inventory. Word started spreading around Walmart, what is going over here because we would tell them when we'd go over to get more shirts and shorts, they'd say, what is going on? Why you guys keep coming over here and buying all this stuff? To where one of the checker ladies, you know, uh, she came over after her shift. She came over here, attended one of of our services met Christ and we baptized her. I mean it's just like this cool story. It was this cool movement that was happening in our in, in our in our community in our church. And so you have to ask yourself who accepted the message and have you accepted the message? Because that's the first step. Have you do you understand the gospel that listen our sin separates us from God? And Jesus Christ came and he lived a he lived a perfect life. He who knew no sin. Took on our sin and he goes to the cross and he he dies and 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 he's resurrected on the third day and because of that that we can have forgiveness of sin we can have eternal life that is that is the gospel. And then you find where verse forty one it says those who received the message those who accepted. So now let me understand the message of baptism. The people that were accepting this were the ones that could. It was a cognitive decision, the one that could respond. So here's the fork in the road. Here's when it gets kind of tense in a church service when I talk about something like this. So here's the question. Is baptism for babies or believers? And that's where the real rub is, right? That's what makes it so emotional is baptism. Is baptism for babies or believers? Then you find in verse 41 it says those who received, those who accepted the message. So, all of a sudden we get a hint that it was a, a cognitive response. In other words, they had to be old enough, till they really understood what was going down and what was happening, that they had followed Christ, had given their life to Christ. And when, when you just a little bit about church history, when you start studying church history, you realize that that baptism for the first 200 years of the local church it was by immersion, it was by immersion, and it was by and it was after. They accepted. It was after they made a decision. And all of a sudden, things started going south in, in church history. And then there were, there, were some, there were some people that started tying Old Testament male circumcision to New Testament baptism. And so that's why all of a sudden they started baptizing children original sin and some of that other stuff. You can go to some people that push back and say, well, in Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 16, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you can find where where them and their whole household were baptized. So they make this huge theological leap where there had to be babies in the household, so babies were being baptized. Uh, Listen, Fellowship of the Rockies, we've baptized entire families here. We've never baptized a baby. We have have a, a next steps class for that, a first steps class for that we've always waited until the child understood the decision that they were making to follow follow Christ. When you look at the history of baptism, you find in Acts chapter 2 it just starts out and it's by immersion it's after they is accepted. And then in church history, I mean, this was seriously important to the local church. And then something about 200 A.D., 300 A.D., uh, churches started introducing sprinkling and something that's called infusion, which is like pouring, and, and that starts coming in, and then, then it really starts going sideways, and we come to 1500s, the Protestant Reformation with Martin Luther, and he says, we got to reform this whole deal. we got to get this thing back on the rails. we got to get this thing out of the ditches. And, and so in the Protestant Reformation... This may be more information that you want, but I'm telling you what is just so important to understand. There were four questions that were asked in the Reformation and answered. I think it will help you. The first question is this. They started looking at how is a person saved. Before the Reformation, you know what it was? Keeping the sacraments. Having faith. Keeping the rules, keeping the sacraments. After the Reformation, it was saved by faith alone. That was Luther's whole deal, Romans chapter 8. And then, then, all, then they looked at what is the authority of the local church. Before the Reformation, it was church tradition. It was the pope. It was the nuns. It was the Catholic church. It was, it was just tradition. After the Reformation, it was only the Bible. It was going to open up the Bible, let the Bible speak. How do you join the church before the Reformation? You were born into the church. In other words, you were born a Christian. I've told you often that, you know what, just because someone's born in McDonald's does not make them a hamburger. Just because someone's born in a garage does not make them a car. You're not born a Christian. You're, not, you're just not born. And so before the Reformation, you were born a Christian. After the Reformation, you put your faith in Christ, and it's no longer a social political machine. The last question they looked, and I think it's really important, is this, is what is the Christian life? Before the Reformation, it was keeping the sacraments, it was keeping the rules, it was keeping the regulations. That's why a lot of you in that system, you may have felt a lot of guilt. You may have felt a lot of guilt. It was rules, rules, rules. It was sacraments. In other words, the only way you were a Christian, by taking a sacrament, by doing something. And so you worried if you missed communion, you didn't take communion. Uh, you worried that if, if I've done enough good things that outweigh the bad things, and You never had assurance of salvation. And then the crazy thing is, after the Reformation, it was like this holy living. It was like walking with Jesus, where people understood listen, let me tell you something. If you don't know this, God is crazy about you. Man, God is so crazy about you that He sent His one and only Son to live a perfect life, to show you what God is like, to take on your sin. And pay a price that you could not pay. And go to the cross and by accepting that message, you have forgiveness of sin, you have newness of life. In the middle of this Protestant Reformation, there's like this hero of mine. may have never heard his name. His name is Ulrich Zwingli. He was a, a priest in Switzerland and and the whole thing, Luther was doing his whole deal. Zwingli starts says, you know what? I'm not going to preach messages that are sent, sent to me by the, by the home office. I'm just going to start preaching verse by verse through Matthew. And God started doing something in Zwingli's life. Zwingli had two men in his church, Felix Manns and, and Conrad Grable. They started reading the Bible for themselves. They go through the New Testament, and they have, this, they have this epiphany. They have this moment. They're like, what? We cannot find a place in Scripture where babies are being baptized. We cannot find one example. And so they said, you know what? Let's go baptize each other. They go out to the river and they baptize. Conrad (laughs) baptizes Felix. Felix baptizes Conrad. Word gets back to the church in the home office. People are upset. The church people, I know it's hard to believe, church people take felix and conrad out to the river they tie their hands behind their back and said you guys love baptism so much we'll immerse you they throw them in the river while they're singing a hymn into your hands i commit my spirit they kill them for baptism for being obedient to the scriptures man it led into this huge period of just wars over this issue the second question that we got to understand well what is the meaning of baptism What what does it mean? I mean, what are we doing? What does it mean? Remember, Simon Peter said it's just—it's symbolic. It's symbolic of what took place in your heart, but I'm telling you, sometimes we miss the mystery in that. There is something happens in the midst of baptism that we cannot explain. And I have watched it over and over and over where people have dealt with this issue for years in their life. And they finally drew a line in the sand and said, you know what, I'm just going to be, be obedient to Christ in every area. And all of a sudden, I watched their life begin to change in greater obedience in other areas. And so it's symbolic that Christ is in your heart, whatever you a decision that you've already made. And you know this, right? If you read scripture that God loves symbols. I mean, he gave us a rainbow, right? It was a symbol that he would never destroy the earth ever again. Communion. We're going to take communion. It's another symbol of scripture. It's a symbol. It's symbolic of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Just as, just as baptism may be the wedding ceremony of the Christian life, communion is the wedding anniversary of the Christian life. It tells us twice to remember something we remember back to when we met him. We remember back to when we were baptized. And whenever a person in the New Testament was baptized, it was, it was because they had already accepted the message of the Lord. They, they accepted and were baptized. They accepted and they were baptized. They were accepted and they Baptized. Oftentimes in the scriptures, Jesus would tell people when they made a faith decision, he'd he'd ask them to to exercise your faith. He'd ask them to walk in faith. He'd ask them to do something. Go to the pool of Siloam and and wash yourself. Stretch out your hand. Take up your mat and just go home. Go show yourself to the, the priest he would ask them to take a step of faith, and then in that step of faith, he would begin to bless them as they went about their way. Communion communicates just humility and obedience to the Scripture. Paul said this Romans chapter six verse one, where we get this whole picture of what's taken place. Paul says, "What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound?" By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us have been baptized in Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Here's the picture. We were buried, therefore, with him in baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. Baptism is symbolic of what has taken place. The death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why the only way you can do that is by immersion. That's the picture of baptism, right? The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ into newness of life. If you go to Israel and you look at all the local churches of their time, they had a baptistry a little bit different than ours. It was one way in, one way out. Because it communicated to them, you are walking into a newness of life. You're walking into a different life. You're not going to go out the same way you came in. You're going to be changed. And that's the picture of coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ. It is symbolic of what Christ did on a cross. And and we have accepted that message. And that's why verse 38, Acts chapter 2, when Simon Peter said this, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's just really important to understand that. You guys want to put that up, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, on the screen? Thank you. And, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's real important to understand that verse. When you look at the two words, repent and forgive, repent and forgiveness, both of those words are in the, the plural. Baptism, baptizes in the singular, which means this, repent and forgiveness are one event, and baptism is a separate event. In other words, this, you repent, you believe, you have Christ. He baptizes you into the, the body of Christ. And then baptism is a separate event that you're following him. It's an expression of what has already taken place in your, in your heart. And the picture of immersion is this. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. In fact fact, is the early church is so cool. They gave the, the, the baptism, the person that got baptiz- baptized, when they stepped out of the baptistry, the first thing they had was a glass of pure drinking water, living water. And they, and they would drink that, and it was just to remind them of the living water of Jesus Christ. It was just symbolic. Ephesians 2.8, Paul makes it very clear about this issue of salvation. He says, for grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of work so that no man may boast. In other words, it's just Jesus. Salvation is Jesus. Baptism is an expression of what Christ has done in your heart. The third and the last question real quickly is what is the method of baptism? Verse 41, it says, so those who received the word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000. The word baptism is just a transliterated word out of Greek to English. The the Greek word is baptizo. Baptizo is, is, is an interesting word. It means to submerge. It means to dip. It means to plunge. It means to dip under. Um, I mean, there are words in the Greek for sprinkling uh, and pouring, but this word baptizo that is used here means to dip, means to emerge, means to plunge, plunge under. One of the ways to help understand like a Greek word is to go and see how it was used in classical Greek, how it was used in common everyday language. So you can go to the historian Josephus. He was a historian of their day. And he would, he would describe a, a vessel, a sunken vessel. He'd say the vessel has been baptizo. It, it was totally sunken. It was totally underwater. You can go to the writing of philosopher Plato. And he would use the word to say you take your bread and you immerse it. You baptizo it in wine and you eat it. Uh, you go like a blacksmith would use the word baptizo, which means take a, a piece of hot metal and plunge it into water to temper it to, so it's a useful tool. Platarch, he, he was a writer of their day. Platarch in some of his writings would use the word baptizo to help people understand that they were baptizo in, in financially. In other words, they were under, they were submerged with financial debt. This word baptizo is like a huge word. It means to be dipped or immersed or plunged under. Uh, since I'm from Texas, I would like to use this word. I baptizo my chicken fried steak in cream gravy. Okay? For, for you from Colorado... You know what? You do that with a slopper, right? I baptize. Yeah, amen. Now, here we go. <laughs> I baptizo my hamburger in green chili, right? Or my burrito, or whatever. Baptizo means to just immerse. It means to dip under to where you no longer see it any longer. And then all of a sudden you start walking, walking this word out in Scripture, and it says Jesus, right? right He's our example because we're Jesus followers. Is it when Jesus came up out of water? Indicates immersion. The Ethiopian eunuch, and we'll close with that verse, the Ethiopian eunuch says he came up out of water with Philip. Let let me give you some quotes. This this is so enlightening. Some founders of some pretty prominent denominations, and I'll I'll give you the denominations. Uh, Martin Luther, founder of Lutherans, is what he said. I would have those who are to be baptized to be entirely immersed as the word imports and the mystery signifies. John Calvin, Presbyterian. The word baptized signifies to immerse. It is certain that immersion was the practice of the ancient church and so should be ours. John Wesley, Methodist. Buried with him alludes to baptism by, uh, baptizing by immersion according to the custom of the first church. Some people will push back and say, you know what? It is not the method, it's the heart. It's where the rub is. You translate that into the other areas of your life. It's not not the method. It's just the heart. You'll find yourself not being obedient in other areas. It's taking your life and lining your life up and say, God, I'm going to be obedient to you in every area of my life and just see what you're going to do. And here at Fellowship of the Rockies, we have baptized people all the way from the age of six to late into their 90s. This isn't an age issue. This is an obedience issue. It's is an obedience issue. Philip had led the Ethiopian eunuch to, to Christ. And here's what he said, Acts chapter 8, verse 35. He said, then Philip opened his mouth. And beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, here is water. Huge question for you. What prevents me from being baptized? What's stopping you? If you have not been biblically baptized. And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into water. Philip, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of water, The Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. Question for you. If you have not been biblically baptized, what prevents you? What is stopping you? See, that's why it's so important this morning to talk about this issue of baptism and then take communion.